Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Live Thrivingly podcast. In a world where spiritual exploration is a sacred journey, few embark on it with as much devotion, love, and reverence as our guest today. I was fortunate enough to be guided to her on the west coast of Costa Rica during my 200-hour YTT, where the medicine of her presence, words, and songs deeply impacted me, revealing my own path home to my heart. From the bustling streets of Los Angeles to the tranquil rice terraces of Abud, Bali, from the abundant jungles of Colombia to the mystical mountains of Peru, Sam Bianchini has steeped herself in many spiritual teachings. From her first taste of yoga during her actor training in 2005 to her immersive dive into the world of Tantra and shamanic practices in Mexico, Sam's journey has been one of ceaseless discovery and deep connection to divine love. Recognized globally for her unique teaching style that blends ancient texts, tribal traditions, and modern insights, Sam's yoga classes are more than just sessions. They're deeply spiritual ceremonies where soul meets practice. But her journey doesn't stop at the yoga mat. Whether she's connecting with healers in Indonesia, studying with medicine women in Peru, or finding enlightenment in the simple pleasures of the human experience, Sam's commitment to understanding the human soul and its myriad expressions is unwavering. A ritualist, a healer, a sacred songstress, Sam wears many hats, but above all, she's a beacon of light, drawing from traditional Andean, Himalayan, and Native American practices. Whether through her psychedelic therapy, yoga classes, or transformative retreats, Sam's work is a testament to her fierce dedication to creating spaces for genuine healing, heart opening, and personal transformation. A loyal advocate for decolonizing yoga in the West and ushering in much-needed anti-racism work in the yoga and healing world, Sam's mission goes beyond personal growth. It calls for collective remembrance, for making yoga accessible to all, for unity, love, and spiritual balance. Today, we are honored to have Sam Bianchini share some of her journey, her teachings, and her vision with us. So wherever you are, take a deep breath, open your heart, and join us as we delve deep into the world of this extraordinary teacher, guide, and spiritual powerhouse. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. <laughs> Thank you, Jackson. Oh my gosh. You know, that hearing that uh, reflected back is so fascinating because I think sometimes we forget ourselves in our own psyches and minds and then hearing someone reflecting back at you is so powerful. Um, and I, yeah, so thank you for that. I appreciate it and feel very humbled and honored to be here. Yeah. So Sam, to start off, um, what is one of your spirit animals and how does it influence <laughs> your life? Um, great question. Uh, you know, it's an interesting um, phrase, turn of phrase that has been taken from Native North American traditions, right? And so I, I more so think about animals that I really connect with. And, you know, um, for me, since I was a child, I uh, have been obsessed with wolves. They have been such a, truly an unexplained obsession. And so um, it's now amazing now that I've gotten older and hear him in Southern California and I work with a wolf sanctuary um, in the high desert in Acton, California called Apex Protection Project. And I get to volunteer there and really learn from the animals and uh, 
they've impacted me really greatly. Um, I think one of the biggest teachings from wolves that is so important to me to take out into the world is that the concept of alpha was a term that was coined by um, a wolf zoologist that was watching them in the wild. And when they wrote that, he, he wrote it and he meant mom and dad. Because there actually is no, like the alpha, quote unquote, in the wild, it's just mom and dad. They, they move in packs, they move in families. And um, we have now taken that term in the West to mean dominant and someone that fights their way to the top and is overly aggressive. And that could not be further from the truth. And so he's actually fought to take that back and retract the term alpha and get that retracted from his um, from his book and, and has, has gone through with it. And so um, when people come to the Wolf Sanctuary, um, they learn that our, um, our alphas are one that lead with benevolence um, with kindness, with warmth, they lead through um, embodiment rather than force. Uh, so, yeah, the term alpha, I, I really love to redefine that for people, how it actually is in, in a wolf pack. Yeah. yeah, super cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I had never heard that before. So I, I, I love wolves as well. And they're just such an amazing animal of North America predominantly too. And just how much influence they've had throughout um, time and, and native times too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so interesting. We always say that uh, DNA wise, we might be closer to primates, but how we work consciously and um, in the psyche is a lot closer to wolves and how we are in um, interpersonal relationships. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to dive into more of your life journey. Um, what was your life like growing up and what really led you down the path you walk today? Hmm. I love this question. And I always think in my heart, I have this little moment of hoping this isn't boring. Um, <laughs> so I think in the most basic sense, I was born and lucky enough to be born in a, um, a very, really welcoming progressive household. Um, and we didn't have one particular maybe spiritual practice or religion or way of being. And for me, as someone born into the world, seeing and feeling God or life force or connection in everything or love, right? Um, I, I didn't have to funnel that through one specific way of thinking or feeling. And I got to explore, what does that mean for me? So um, I think really that affected me going down many different paths. It's what brought me to be an artist, and a poet, an actor. And, um, and it's also what brought me into um, any spaces where I could touch the ineffable, um, where I could understand and ritualize this thing I just felt inside of my heart when I was born. I have a teacher that says that we are hardwired for devotion. I'm like human beings are hardwired for devotion. And in our modern life, we don't have a lot of places of like modern ritual or modern ceremonies. So we often take that devotion into, you know, other things like, I don't know, Netflix and right. Oh, who knows? Who knows? And I love a good Netflix, but we, you know, we over, mm. over devote ourselves to those things. But, um, so for me, I was trying to take this overwhelming sense of love and poetry and desire and oneness I felt and ritualize it. And so I think that that has led me into a lot of who I became today. Um, 
And I led down the paths of, of course, as an actor and an artist, which I still very much define myself as a director and creator. Um, and then that brought me to uh, practicing yoga, which is really the meanest thing you can do to 18 year olds in Chicago uh, <laughs> is make them wake up at 8 a.m. after they've been, you know, rehearsing till 11 and force them to do yoga asana. Um, but thankfully, I just fell in love with it. And we had a teacher, I really, really honor her, Mira, who um, had us um, reading Krishnamurti. And um, it was really that philosophy. And I, I wanted to know more and more and more about. Um, so, yeah, that was a little bit of how that got started for me. Um, and I uh, then really fell more in love with it after I graduated from graduate school. And I kind of went back to my yoga journey and that sort of started some mm, just sort of started me down the journey of exploration and worship and play and devotion so yeah yeah was a little bit of that yeah so along the way as well um all these different paths that begin to illuminate themselves um you eventually found yourself uh, coming across the Native American path. Um, I would love if you could shed some more light on on the Red Road and mm. um, how it's influenced your life. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to take this question and take it back because it's so interesting how my yoga path, my medicine path, and my Red Road path have been all kind of one and encompassed. So... Um, Many years ago, I went and did my yoga teacher training in Mexico, in Tantra, which we can talk about what Tantra is in a little bit. But um, And at the same time, I had met a really wonderful couple um, serendipitously who I came to know very deeply as family. And they had invited me down to the jungles of Colombia. And something inside of me, I had never touched a psychedelic. I... I, I yeah, I, I kind of had felt that ineffability without anything. So I, I just always thought, I don't need that. But then I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. And um, they invited me into these jungles of Colombia. And I said, absolutely. I know in my heart that's where I meant to be. Um, and so shortly after my time in Mexico, I found myself um, in the jungles of Colombia with um, these amazing medicine men um, from one of the oldest tribes of the Amazon, and I was taken to my knees and um, really, really humbled and found on a dusty jungle path begging for the ceremony to be over. <laughs> and I was very convinced for a little bit that all these people were in cults and I just needed to get out of there. And then I slept. And somehow that sleeping, which I think is really key and crucial to integration is like the resting and the embodiment of it um, started to illuminate everything for me. And I was able to really see the power of what was going on. So I stayed in the jungles and, you know, was with the plants and in these ceremonies for five more ceremonies. But then I just knew Jackson that something inside of me was going, this is so beautiful. It's so beautiful to see these visions and have this incredible non-linear experience. Um, but for me, to be totally honest, there was a way where I was like, this is familiar. 
I know these realms. I've been touched. You know, I, I can, I kind of like dabble in these realms. Um, and I wanted a way to ground the prayer. I wanted a way to not just go around and be like, oh, the medicine showed me this and what cool visions I got, which it felt very self-congratulatory. I wanted a way to actually like bring that back down to the earth and pray with the earth and thank it. And um, so I discovered the Red Road, um, which is called the Red Road, the Camino Rojo, the Native North American Practices. Um, so these are practices done by all the native Northern American tribes and as well as what is now called Mexico and, um, practices that look like at large, like vision quest, um, um, like sun dance, like moon dance. And so, um, finding those practices has been the most truly rich way that I have found a prayer and something that I'm very grateful for because. It's really self-congratulatory to take yourself on a anthemogenic trip and say, I saw so many cool things, but it's really humbling to sit inside a sweat lodge and be so overcome with something so difficult that you have to bow your head to the earth. And so um, those practices have really been my humbling backbone and something I come back to over and over and over again. So yeah, I've um, been in vision questing and moon dancing now for quite a few times and practices that are my deepest teachers yeah that's so beautiful thanks for illuminating more on how those were all connected and i i remember when i first came across you at the training and got to know you and uh we we got to share sweat lodge together and you invited us all to experience that for the first time and it was an incredibly humbling experience and it touched me very deeply and really made me rethink the the Native American traditions and for me to actually finally experience that for the first time and, and just have so much appreciation for what they bring into this world and, and mm. some sadness too for what all has been taken away from them Absolutely. but like this reverence of you know I humble myself to this road and you know I would love to you know support this this restoration and the this continuing of breathing life back into these indigenous peoples, especially in North America being, you know, rooted in, in Texas and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I felt um, very called to share right after that, that I am a name that I'm a white bodied non-indigenous woman to these, these continents. And um, so to say that these practices have been my deepest teachers is with absolute incredible reverence and humbleness and knowing that I do not own them. And I am a, invited guest and i share that just to say um you know you know my sweat lodge teacher a man named wolf would i mean he remembers that you know up until 1979 it was illegal and punishable by jail um, to you know have sage to have feathers to practice these ceremonies in these ways you know their language was taken from them and um and i say that just to bring awareness and acknowledgement of the fact that they kept these things sacred um, even when they were putting their lives on the line. And now somehow they still find beauty to open it up to the people that come in reverence and kindness to these places. And I just find it truly my deepest teacher to be learning. Um, I just sit at the, the feet of indigenous people and learn from their wisdom. And I, I'm, I'm so honored and grateful for that because when I look at the state of the world right now, I really think... Um, that is what's needed. <laughs> it's the missing link. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned moon dancing. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, what the moon dance is and uh, how how that has really impacted you. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so moon dancing or Danza de la Luna is a tradition from um, what is now Mexico, from the Mexica traditions. And um, in Native North America, we often know about the Lakota sun dance. And this is a practice where, um, just very briefly, they uh, fast for four days and four nights from food and water and dance for four days at the hottest point of the sun um, around the tree of life, like our tree of life. And sometimes the, they'll pierce their bits of their skin and break off from the tree of life. And it's a way of prayer. It's a way of devotion. Um, in native, in all Native North American traditions, it's kind of considered that like the only thing we have to give back that is our own is our body, right? Like if I just give tobacco to the earth or water or you know um, or even light sage or whatever it is back to the earth, that's still from the earth itself, and. So when we give of our bodies, it's the only thing we give. And all of these practices are intended to be hard. Like they're difficult. They're really hard. Um, because then you find a very deep strength inside of you that you never knew you had. So um, many years ago, I was on Humblecha, which is your um, vision quest. And I loved it. And I was feeling very called to have a more, um, maybe I'll just say female-led uh way of having that red road prayer and i got off of the mountain and heard this woman sing a song that i wanted to learn and she told me it was a a, a woman's moontime song and so i learned it a couple of months later go to Tels to the first time to meet a teacher of mine and then asked her upon meeting her to drum with me while i sang that song come to find out that that is a moon dance song and that this person took people down to the dance. And so um, what moon dance is, is a reverse sun dance. So sun dance, like I said, fast from food and water for four days and four nights and dance around the tree of life at four, four days. Moon dance is the reverse prayer. Um, it is femme-bodied, female, sometimes two-spirited led. And it is fasting mostly from food, very specific diet. We, we still drink water because water and the moon are very, very in tune. Um, and we dance for four nights leading up to the full moon. Um, it is an incredibly powerful practice. Um, it has changed my life. It is nuanced. There are songs um, and the, the, well, the practice itself comes from um, the Mexica and the language of Nahuatl. And there are songs in Nahuatl that literally go to my core and shake me in ways that I have never felt from any other indigenous language. Um, and so being a moon dancer um, has been, again, the honor of my life to sit at the feet of um, the abuelas, the grandmothers that run it, that lead it with such kindness and humbleness and warmth and strength. You know, you got these 70, 80 year old grandmothers dancing in the cold, cold nights for four nights in a row, nonstop, showing so much devotion and strength and love. And they're just putting, you know, my 30 something year old self to shame. So I um, feel very grateful and honored to be learning in that tradition. And I'm um, a Chinooka carrier of that tradition. So when you dance the moon dance, you can carry what is called your obsidian Chinooka pipe. And so um, when you get your Chinooka pipe, um, 
you commit to smoking it every full moon and praying with it every full moon. Um, and it's just such a beautiful thing to me to think that collectively every full moon, there are these thousands of pipe carriers around the world taking out their pipe and praying for our world and praying for its peace and praying for its harmony and, you know, praying for restoration and justice with, you know, with, with, um, the planet again so yeah yeah it's been a really incredible practice i feel again it's so complex and deep but i feel so lucky to um honored honored is more the word to, to sit at the feet of it so yeah yeah that's beautiful and when you've spoken to me about these native north american practices and we've um shared tobacco together and different things you've mm -hmm. spoken about how powerful of a plant medicine that tobacco is and i feel like that conversation you don't hear oftentimes and what do you have to say about tobacco and its its <laughs> spirit and, and how powerful it is yeah wow that's a really really beautiful question and i love touching on this so you know there are many medicine people around the world that would say if there's one plant that they could work with for the rest of time it would be tobacco and um, tobacco, especially in Native North America, has been such a sacred plant. Um, if you look at how it grows, it is a stunning, beautiful plant. And it's very sticky and sweet. And, um, and it's very protective. Um, so in Native North America, people have been using tobacco for years in many different ways besides just smoking it. Um, anytime we're going on a walk or you want to pray, or perhaps if you want to pick a flower or harvest something from the earth, you lay down tobacco or you, something's on your heart, you lay down tobacco or you're giving thanks. And look what we say, you know, you might give down tobacco, you know, for, for that gratitude to the earth. Um, if things are hard, we carry medicine pouches around our neck often with solely tobacco, but some, you know, some other herbalists might carry yarrow or other protective herbs inside of it rose um and so tobacco we've seen it all across the what is what is now so called americas and used in ceremony in so many different ways so um in the north it's truly like an honor to be a chinupa carrier a pipe carrier and we smoke and sit with tobacco and um, pray with tobacco but I will say that what I have learned in watching the people that use tobacco is that they are not abusing it like we do, right? Like now Western culture, right? We have commodified it. We've added a million different additives to it. We've not ethically harvested it. Um, we are literally pushing it into people to get them addicted to it. Um, and it's painful and so sad to see because that plant is we've taken away the the beauty and the protectiveness of that plant and that spirit um and so instead of us right like it's this is such a big conversation i think around in general instead of us as a western culture going out and extracting and drawing and saying i want this to be mine going back to learning from and humbling ourselves to and so i say this with tobacco because when i've watched my native teachers with tobacco specifically this one man um, from ecuador who i love so much and he was praying with this cornhouse tobacco one time in a sweat lodge and he would smoke some and then sit and listen and then when he would speak it was like the spirit of the plant was speaking out through him so tobacco can be very grounding very protective in high doses in different ways it actually is psychotropic as well um, and so in the South, uh, you know, 
in so-called South America. Now we also have um, a tobacco plant and tobacco snuff called Jarpe. And there are tribes that are specifically like, they are Jarpe tribes and it is their plant medicine. And it is both grounding and yet opening. Um, so tobacco to me is one of the greatest teachers. If, if even just teaching me to come to something humbly and without abuse and without extraction, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Thanks for illuminating that more. And it, to me, the more I've learned about these different plant medicines and everything, it's, it's no different than the commodification we've done with cacao and the chocolate industry and all these, all these amazing plant medicines that have been on the earth for all of time. And we've just extracted all the yes. goodness out of them and we, if we can come back to them humbly and learn their origins and learn their roots and, you know, yes. come to them in reverence, they can be incredible allies on our path. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jackson. I couldn't agree more. And the similar with tobacco and the red road path, I think we, we don't hear about it as much probably because it's maybe less flashy and, and it's, it's not as talked about in, the social world of, you know, what everyone's doing, I think. And there's so much power in it. And like, again, you say with the Native American path is there's just so much humility and humbleness that comes with um, that, that we don't see very represented. Yeah, I, I really agree. It could be flashy and talking about it. Like we could feel really cool and being like, I said, or like I mm -hmm. had a vision quest and sat on a mountaintop and that can be flashy in talking about it, but the actual doing of it is so freaking difficult that it's just humbling. It's just humbling. And um, it's not only humbling, but it's still communal. Um, it's communal. It's bringing people into community back together, which is so important to me. It's earth-based. It's um, combining not only the four directions, the four elements, but our prayers back down to the earth um, and all of her inhabitants. Um, and it's also done as a prayer, meaning you could never really charge for these things. And when we were living in, an, you know, indigenous cultures were intact and we were living in non-capitalistic societies, right, prior to industrial complex, um, no one was charging for ceremonies um, because they were literally meant to be there as medicines for the community, um, as the important rituals for the community. And so... You know, when I go to moon dance, I think I give a hundred American dollars to make sure that the dance runs well, right? And when we think about that alongside of now seeing the yoga complex or the yoga, you know, like industry and the now Western psychedelic industry and seeing prices there and price points that are absolutely unattainable, um, it's something that I love to think about and root in is that, um, you know, when I go to sweat lodge, um, here in Southern California, it's there's no charge for it. They just pass around this little beanie hat that you put mm -hmm. cash in afterwards to support the the husband and wife that lead our lodge. And um, I was so I like could cry talking about it. I was so lucky to learn from them that that is the way of healing and prayer. And um, they are the most giving people I've ever met. They have people come and live with them on their property. That is so humble. And so learning from that, alongside of uh, you know hearing phrases in the neo neo yoga world or the neo healing world of like charge what you're worth and being like yeah i know we got to eat but man six hundred dollars for you know xyz i don't know you know like 
where's who is healing for and who is it available for so i feel very lucky to learn from the red road in that way yeah and this kind of leads us into the next question which is in that neo yoga neo wellness neo spirituality realm um that is a term that you actually brought to me when um on the training and kind of the term homogenized spirituality and some of these things we're seeing um what's your outlook on that kind of in the world right now and where would you see the world going to or an invitation towards um um, a more harmonious future with this that's such a great question with a lot of nuance and um not even knowing where to start i think for me watching people turn towards you know sort of these um, i sort of sometimes put it under the umbrella of like western spirituality or like you know, whitewashed spirituality and all this stuff. I don't think in essence out of itself is a bad thing. That desire to connect with something more, we are a, look, Western culture is a sick culture. We're really cut off from the root of the earth, from living together in community, from living indigenously, from living, you know, with reciprocity with one another. And so we're sick, we're hungry, we're, 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 we're something in us is like driving us somewhere. Um, but you know, with um, with the way that both um, not to sound so trite, but capitalism and and social media are, it's just really easy to get very what I like to call homogenized spirituality. Here's a really cute picture of someone either doing a yoga pose or on a mountain somewhere, and then we all know it. Like, right? There's a picture, maybe uh, you know a roomy quote, a semi-vulnerable share, and then like, come take my course for however much money. Um, And it just is kind of leading itself further and further away from lineage. And so maybe that's, that's the answer that I would have is, is rooting back in lineages. Sometimes people come up to me after a ceremony and they're like, how'd you learn that? I want to go take a course. I want to, where did you learn from? I'm thinking I would like to do this. And I'm like, go assist your teachers go find true indigenous teachers you know if you can if you're lucky enough to and go assist assist them first just sit in ceremony forever you know what i mean like first humble yourself put yourself in the way of that right and then offer assistance and assistance doesn't always look like sitting up at the altar and being the helper it looks like uh, you know going and building the sweat lodges it looks like cleaning the buckets of purge. It looks like all the things that are unsexy and uncool. And that is how we learn. Something I've seen kind of through my own my own path, my own process with homogenized spirituality and seeing yeah. Instagram and all these ads and kind of how the algorithm works the, in this day and age, it makes me feel sometimes like I'm lacking something and that the yes. answer is in that, you know, is in that supplement or is in that class. And it's like, in a way it might be, but the problem is for me, I'm an Enneagram seven and I'm subject to gluttony. And it was like, okay, I need to do everything. So it's like, I'm not whole until I do all these retreats or I climb this ladder, I take all these supplements. And so I was just spending a ton of money and I was never committing to something and devoting myself to something because people are telling me, that I'm not whole yet. Mm. Jackson, you're touching on something. 
thank you for that vulnerable, honest share. And you're touching on something that is very near and dear to my heart that I know we've talked about before, but I would love to talk a little bit about. So um, I was introduced a couple of years ago to this idea of the three traditions of healing. And uh, this is coined through an herbalist named Suzanne Weed. And um, she talks about the wise woman or the wise person, I like to call it, just to take out gender, but the wise person tradition of healing. And, um, and it is something that I would like to see more of the Western world go towards. And here's how it looks against what you're kind of naming, which is the heroic tradition. So the heroic tradition of healing is what we see very fully inside of the yoga world, the, you know, oftentimes the whitewashed spiritual world. And it's, it's so close, but it's potentially, I think, more harmful. Um, and because it's very subtle. So essentially what it does is say it's it's based in duality and the idea that there's a right or a wrong or a good or a bad or a clean and a not clean or a holy and a not holy. And it looks at a person and a person's body and spirit as like potentially like a temple of the soul, but at first you're dirty and you need to purge or clean or like cleanse out or get rid of or meditate enough or do as many set salutations or whatever it is to get there like you could be there but you're not there yet and oftentimes uh it's like puts the place of power in the quote-unquote healer right um which i even have an interesting time saying that word because even the word healer anybody can call themselves a healer what does that even mean anymore and again it's like i'm healing you it's putting the place of power in the healer so it's like in the heroic tradition oftentimes people feel a lack or that not good enough or that shame or like oh my god am i not worthy enough which is to be honest almost all of us right now because that is how our western world is set up it's capitalism thrives on scarcity on feeling scarce and not enough and that we won't survive and we it thrives in individualized society of being like i, I gotta do it all on my own and it thrives in that this idea that you have to work for your worth. Uh, you can't sleep to your dead. Um, you're not worthy until you do try, be, produce, create something of worth. And so this heroic model of healing really thrives. And so people feel this lack. And and Suzanne Weed would like describe it as then they go like, oh my God, I've been bad or I feel unholy and I need help or she, she would even go so far as to say I need to be punished which I think is a little far but um and then the healer's like I save you you know which again is like so heroic um and put it in, in the place of the healer so the thing with this tradition is that it is very popular and alternative which is exactly neo-yoga neo-wellness right it's the alternative to what we think of um as modern culture um, but it's very popular and it's what the most dangerous thing for me is that it is that it thrives on this idea of shame and not enough. And so what it can do is cause endless repetitious cycles of either shame or ego. So what this can look like is I didn't eat well enough. Like, oh my God. Or like I had a margarita. Oh, it must be such a mess up. Or like, oh my gosh, I I was really a mess or I didn't meditate or I, I didn't go to yoga for like a million days and feeling so much shame and something's wrong with that. But then the 
other end of it is when we've seen this before, right? I get up every day and meditate at 4.30. I, all, I eat this exactly every day, right? It's like this ego trip. Like, I really did it, man. And I... And it causes endless cycles of this. And what that really is to me is duality or othering. And so when I see languaging and I feel it and it's on certain podcasts, that's why I enjoy how you really lead this with so much heart and non-hierarchy and non-duality. There are a lot of whitewashed podcasts out there that do a lot of othering. Like, yeah, society doesn't really get it. We really get it. I saw, I have found the light. And like, that is a really dangerous place to be. I have a lot of empathy for where othering comes from. It comes from the utter lack of control in a chaotic world <laughs> in a chaotic universe and that's like really at the end of the day where this comes from like all us little humans trying to have some sort of semblance of control in truly the at the very baseline of the fact that we don't know what's going to happen when we die and so we try to find any way to feel important or grasp onto something but it does create this heroic like i'm never enough i'm never enough or then i i figured it out and those plebeians over there those sheep over there they haven't and so this is what I see really running rampant and I see it being very dangerous because it's really othering. Um, it's very egoic based. And then for people on the outside, man, it's like, they don't want to touch that. Maybe yoga would be lovely for them. Maybe they'd really enjoy like a breathwork class, but they don't want to go near that. They feel very scandalized. I also find that people in this way often feel like they have to wear a costume. It's like almost like, um, you know how at like Comic-Cons they cosplay? I feel like people like start to cosplay. This is what a yoga person looks like. This is what a ceremony person looks like. And as someone that, you know, I'm so lucky that I've been devoted and at the root of this stuff for like 10 years, I always joke that at my heart, I'm just a whiskey drinking poet that listens to Tom Waits and Patti Smith. And like, and so when I see my people, my artist people who are deeply tapped into something spiritual, deeply tapped in, be turned away because they don't look like or seem like a yogi or a wellness person or a spiritual person, it breaks my heart. So the alternative, right? Like what is the alternative, right? It just spends a long time kind of naming this thing. The alternative is called the wise person path. And um, the wise person path is said to like be the path that started from the time of humanity. And it was the first time that like your elder when you were sick made you soup and sat with you and like held your, held your hair or like made you a tea. It is in this way that the wise person path is led by deep nourishment. And so what we do in the wise person path when someone is ailing or sick or unwell or unaligned or whatever it is, or just someone that comes to our spaces or ourselves is flood them with nourishment. We don't say, we don't diagnose or, you know, we could, but we don't diagnose or pathologize or, you know, blame them. Well, you're, you're getting sick because you're doing X, Y, Z. We just flood them with nourishment. Because what happens when you are nourished, like think for anybody listening right now, think about when you're actually nourished, when you're well fed, when you've slept, when you feel embodied, when you're calm in your heart, what kind of choices do you make? You go towards more nourished, aligned choices without me having to say to you, well, you should be eating better. Well, you should be doing this, right? Like you naturally gravitate towards that. And so we look at, in the wise person way, we look at death and disease as actually like allies for transformation. Like, well, okay, great. 
how do I flood someone with nourishment? How do I flood myself with nourishment so that I make interesting choices? And so in this way, it's actually a non-hierarchical model because someone might come to me as someone that's holding healing space. And instead of being like, save me, they say, I would love some support so I can go to my depths. And as a person holding that space, I'm like, yeah, baby, I'm right here with you. Let's go. You know, like I'm standing by your side. So in that way, it's self-empowering for the person that's coming in. They are learning the tools on themselves. Um, but this way of healing is not, again, flashy. And it's not its not capitalistic. It moves slower. It moves, it moves sweeter. It takes more of what my teacher Marisha would say, like earth pace. And, um, and it doesn't work on social media as well. Although I think it's starting to more because I think people are getting really sick of social media and feeling sort of uneasy about how they're pre being presented things. Um, I even found out, like I won't name it because I don't want to get in trouble, but a very famous yoga brand and company leads these like how to design a retreat. And they even say in it, I've heard from someone that took it, like find people's deepest shames and write to that and then release the language. So it's literally just capitalistic advertisement. It's why we feel really icky kind of reading it and it's like something's wrong with us versus the wise person path is like, you are whole, perfect, and enough right now. You are. You might be misaligned or a little out of balance, and you might be seeking more alignment and coming home to yourself, nourishment, great. But that's not because you are wrong or bad or anything's wrong with you. Um, so it's a very different way of healing, but it's one that I would really like to see more spaces go towards um, yeah. Yeah. And what I'm adamant about, um, what I'm very, very, very adamant about. Yeah. Yeah. And you've, you've brought the term nourishment into my life and really sh have shown me what that means within my, my own life, but then to hold space for other people and just point them back to that nourishment within, right. And, in teaching a yoga class, leading a yoga class, just guiding everyone back to that medicine that's in their heart and that it's not separate yeah. and just those reminders. And I think through time and through regulation of our nervous systems and through co-regulating, we can calm down. And I notice it in myself and I've created a term for myself of like recalibrating myself on mm -hmm. a day where I'm all spun up and I get on Instagram mm -hmm. and I'm like, I need that product. I need to go to this retreat mm -hmm. because I'm dysregulated right now. And then the next morning I wake up and I'm regulated and I'm aligned and I'm like, you know what? Everything's okay. I'm okay. Like yesterday I was broken, but today I'm whole again, you know? And it's yeah. remembering that sometimes we, we ebb and flow out of that alignment, but yeah. it's always, it's always there. Sometimes we just really need to settle and take that earth earth pace and that's something I've yeah. learned from you and that I pass on to others through this podcast and friends and family and those I come across in life is just is nourishing ourselves filling up our cup and, and yeah. knowing that we we can tap into that spring within and it's not outside yes 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 thank you Jackson that's so beautiful and a really beautiful way to say that and um there's two things I want to pull the thread through of on that one is, I hear you say, yesterday I was broken and now I'm whole again. But you were always whole. You were just off alignment for a little bit. And that's okay. Because when we look at balance, balance isn't an actual point that we've arrived to and stay at. 
if you look at a tightrope walker, they're always a little here, right? Like a little one side, a little the other side. If you even think about in yoga, when you're balancing on one foot, your foot is always moving all around. And so balance is just, I love that idea of recalibration. Oh, oh, I'm a little undernourished in this way. Oh, I'm a little over X, Y, Z. What would I like to do to bring myself into more harmony? But that also to me um, brings in Tantra. And I want to kind of like touch on that for a second. And um, because this wise person passed, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, that's Tantra. And my teacher was like, it's exactly Tantra. So Tantra is not surprisingly not sex. And, uh, you know, it's the ancient, ancient indigenous matriarchal form of yoga and Buddhism. It is the root of both of them. And it goes back 30,000, 30, 40,000 years. And, um, and so Tantra looks like modern yoga but is actually like it's like they have the same framework but just very different lenses of it and so one of the most important things in tantra is this idea um that you are born worthy that you were born divine um when my teacher mary used to say like a bit of you like there's a u-shaped hole in the universe or like the universe was like so desiring to know what it would live like as jackson or live like as sam that it came into being and you know what a cool thing and you're born divine and perfect um you're are born already enough um whereas other vedantic or like dualistic traditions teach that you come into the world but you to like learn a lesson or that you're dirty and wrong or you have to fix your karma or like blah 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 tantra is like why the heck would the world be the most beautiful place in the world? Why would there be 500 gorgeous pink flowers and beautiful sunsets? And why would food taste exquisite if it was like, no, you're here to learn lessons and purge and clean yourself and then rise above. So Tantra is like, no, you're born whole and enough. Um, and so in this way, Vedanta believes in enlightenment, right? Like you have to like do enough to attain enlightenment. Tantra doesn't believe that at all. Tantra believes that you're already whole and worthy, you know, quote unquote, enlightened in your soul. But what happens is that we forget, right? And I, I always use the, the, the way, the example of like someone cuts you off in your car and you're like, oh, gosh, darn it. You know, and you're like, oh, my God, and you forget, right? You forget. Or yeah, or like truly people do pretty awful things. And the more we forget, the more we cause harm. And so the practice in Tantra is actually not to attain or purge or cleanse, but it's actually just to remember. We actually call it uh, smarana, which means the sacred remembrance. And I love that term, like, because it is to remember, right? But it's also to remember, like bring together all the parts of us that have fragmented off, which is a very, very, um, it's a way that we look at um, in the psyche, how trauma happens. Like we, we, um, we literally like disembody and dissociate, break off and fragment. And then in shamanic healing, we look at it as soul soul fractures. So it's so funny where these parallels all meet and we literally just call them home and remember them. But it's the practice of remembering, oh, right, I'm whole, I'm enough. And then Tantra, that idea of like, actually it's all within me, that wellspring's all within you is, is something that we really teach. We teach that, um, and it's believed, it's not just this cute theory, it's believed that the entire energy of the universe lives inside of your body. There's no energy out there that isn't in your body and there's no energy in your body that is out there. So it's like, we use the body as like this way to explore the universe. It's kind of, I give the example all the time in yoga of like when you move your pinky finger and you engage it in a different way and you're like, I get something about the universe, you know? Like 
we get to use that and it's all within self. So Tantra is essentially the very like essence of it is non-guruism, non-hierarchy, like everybody's all worthy. And so from starting of that place, um, you know, of like, hey, you're already worthy. And so, you know, again, just to root it back in that question of where I would love to see these sort of more like neo spaces go one of course and way more lineage rooting ourselves at the feet of things that are indigenous teachers that are indigenous not just like another white yoga teacher <laughs> um which you know i i'm one and i'm i find myself to be knowledgeable and also know nothing but um but to sit at the the feet of these things and number two to hold spaces and places as ones where people are walking in already whole and enough and you're just providing them the space that they need to remember <laughs> to cap off the show, Sam, I always like to ask, what does it mean when you hear the words live thrivingly? What is coming up for me right now is that I listened to your introduction podcast, your seven minute of like how you came to this name of this podcast. And it was so you, right? Like to live thrivingly. And you broke down the word and what that meant and to live I was like, what would mine be? What would I live? Live what? And I think mine would be like live juicily. <laughs> or like live with the juice or live in what or live wonderfully or something, maybe, or live awfully. Um, like in awe. Um, but when I think about that truly, I think about living when I'm rested and nourished, I can live from a place of thriving. When I am nourished in my body and my heart and my spirit and my soul and my community and my friends and my connection to the earth and in art and in play, I live thrivingly. I live in reciprocity. I live in that state of, um, you know what? I think we were really like, Tantra looks at it like, again, life is not a punishment. It's a gift. Like we didn't come here to learn a lesson. We came here to be like, oh my gosh, isn't that sunset so beautiful? Oh my gosh, doesn't this taste amazing? Don't you see God and feel God and everything? Or, you know, if you don't like that word, say love or whatever it is. What an incredible miracle that I'm here. And so when I get to live thrivingly, it's like every single moment I just get to see uh, the beloved or the other in everything. And um, there's a way where I kind of say it's kind of like I get to like flirt with the whole world, <laughs> you know, and, and or play or, or awe at it all. And, yeah, but it starts with me being nourished and whole, feel really embodied. I love that. Yeah. Any any last words to share here, Sam? Yeah, I think um, we we touched on so many parts in this podcast of like what the subtle shifts um, that we could be offering into the world or want to see in the world, and um, my encouragement is. Is if anybody is sort of you know on their path of seeking, keep seeking, but know you're already stuck, stoked, stoked, seeked. You're already there. You're already whole. And uh, part of that is that I really just want to bring people into the remembrance that we are. No one's going to teach you. No one's your guru. They might teach. They might offer guidance. But at the end of the day, we are like literally all just walking each other home. And that's a Ram Dass quote that I like truly live by. That no one's got it all figured out. We're just walking with each other home. And so the more we can provide spaces and places where we're coming to each other on a non-hierarchical level, coming together and play and kindness and empathy and walking each other home, I think that's a lot of shift, a lot of shift would happen from that place. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, <laughs> where could the audience connect with you if they'd like to um, get in contact with you or um, attend any of your offerings? And what are those offerings? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so I am very grassroots. I tend to be very grassroots. So you can find me on Instagram. It is definitely not a business page, very much a personal one, but uh, you can connect with me there. And um, I'm at Sam Darlin without a G. And uh, yeah, I have a lot of different offerings. I offer spaces of um, yoga trainings, and oftentimes those are um, continued education trainings, so like deeper trainings, uh, like yoga nidra trainings or restorative and yin trainings, uh, which I love and are available to all people, whether you've taken a yoga teacher training or not. Um, I also have, uh, you know, here in LA and in Chicago do ceremonies that are yoga nidras and sandhas or cacao ceremonies that are public. Um, and I also host private um, psychedelic work. So whether that is personal and one-on-one -on -one sessions with people um, or uh, mostly what I work in is a communal style these days. I really believe in them. So I'm happy to to answer any questions anybody has about that, but mostly working these days in, in MDMA communal ceremonies um, that are a mix of all of the lineages um, that I've been lucky enough to sit at the feet at with um, Western ideals and, you know, Western, Western understandings of the nervous system and community and what one needed. So those have been incredible and look forward to connecting with more folks with that in the future. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that and for all you shared today, all your ideas from the deepest of your heart and soul. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you. Such an honor. Wow, what an incredible journey we've embarked on today, folks. I hope this conversation touched you as much as it did me, and you're walking away with some gems to enrich your own life. Now, if you're loving the Live Thrivingly podcast as much as I love creating it, I'd truly appreciate if you could take a few moments to leave me a review. Your feedback not only helps us improve and bring you more of what you love, but it also helps other seekers like you find this podcast. It's one of the best ways you can support the growth of this podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to join our thriving tribe on Instagram at Live Thrivingly. It's a beautiful community where we can connect with like-minded souls and stay updated on all things Live Thrivingly. I'd love to see you there. And remember, every moment is an opportunity to choose to live thrivingly. I'm your host, Jackson Hall, and until next time, stay curious, stay courageous, and keep thriving. <laughs>